You're listening to Selling the Dream. This isn't an interview, and we're not journalists. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Selling the Dream podcast, my favorite half hour of the week, where we get an opportunity to hang out with my good buddy, Joe Iredell. I'm Ken Jordan, and today we have a really, really cool guest, and I can't wait to, to bring him on. But as always, Joe, we got to chat for a few minutes. We got a couple things to catch up on. First of all, how are you? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing really good. You've inspired me, so I've been I've been doing a little bit of training here myself. So I love it, man. I love it. So what what are you training? What are you what are you what are you, what are you running? Oh, well, I am running, but that's not why. Okay, I've, I've turned myself into a fighter, KJ. Oh, I have a I have a pretty rigorous schedule these days. I wake up at four thirty in the morning. I go to the gym at five. I lift from five to six, and I do cardio usually on the elliptical about six miles from six to seven and i spend about 20 minutes in the sauna this is every day but sunday and then in the afternoon i spend about two hours doing jujitsu and and rolling so you have a fight line it's not lined up but i'm gonna be ready i'm gonna be ready for something by the end of the summer i'm sure i love that i yeah. love that man congratulations um, good, man. yeah the last time do you remember our last our last podcast. Do you remember when I had just finished that that eleven mile run, and I told you you're gonna have to do all the heavy lifting that day because I had no energy. I do, I do. So I had said that day that there are two types of people in this world: people that sign up for marathons so that they can say they signed up for a marathon, and people that finish marathons. Right. And that day, eleven mile run, painful, uninspired. My son actually had to come pick me up. You remember? Yeah, yeah. So that was, and I said, I'm just until until something changes. I'm just the guy that signed up for a marathon, you know. And, they, and people are only impressed by that for for about a minute. But since then, November twentieth, I ran and completed my first marathon. That's that's something to be proud of, man. That, that's that's something I, uh, very few people can accomplish. But the big question is, did you take my advice? Did you wear heels? <laughs> Did you wear Heelys to lighten the load a little bit? I did not wear Heelys. I was pretty sure I'd be somehow disqualified if I did. So no, I ran it legit. And 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 I I, I like to tell people that I beat 792 people that day, believe it or not. That's so not pretty only, good. Not only did I finish. Marathon go, but, that, but tell us about the marathon. Well, I lost to 7,000 people, but I beat 782 of them. And that's all I care about. That's all I that's care about. That's pretty good, man. That's so, so one of the really cool things about this marathon, a handful of people have heard this story already, but but our guest today was someone who kind of walked into my life at the most opportune moment. Really, really an interesting story. So I'm at the convention center, Philadelphia Convention Center, Friday before the marathon, which is Sunday, and I was there to pick up my bib. It was 4.30, I think, in the afternoon. I'd worked all day, hustled down there to get my bib. And again... I only ran 13 miles. That was my longest run. My 11-mile run, which was the, the most recent run, ended short, foot pain, had to be picked up by my son the whole bit. And I already had a lot of self-doubt going in my brain. And when I walked to the convention center, I realized I was, I was out of my league, man. I mean, I was just by myself walking around thinking to myself, I don't, I shouldn't even be here. Like this is this is insane. Like why why did I even sign up for this? Who was I kidding? All that stuff. And then I I asked someone to take my picture in front of the banner. 
And this nice lady took my picture and and then I took two pictures. I took one just standing there. Another was like with my hands up, like, I don't know, what do you want out of me? <laughs> so the judge, you're muted. Oh, this this was strictly for proof of life before you attempted the correct. The okay. Correct. Correct. So a gentleman was standing there and he says, Hey, are you running tomorrow? I said, yes. And um, he said, is this your first marathon? I said, yes. And he says, your first Philly or your first marathon? I said, my first marathon. And he said, can I give you some advice? I said, sure, I'll take some advice. And, and, and maybe I, I'm going to tell this story. Arthur may remember it differently. So, so he proceeds to say, I have, I have a lot of expertise in this area. I've run 70 marathons. And I've run the Philadelphia Marathon 26 times. Now, I couldn't, I mean, I was just, what? what? I, I was just kind of like, really? And, and, and I couldn't believe it. But of course, Mike, then, then you're the person I need to take advice from. So he proceeds to tell me the most important thing is, what are you wearing tomorrow? Of course, I thought about it, but I didn't put that much thought into it. You know, I figured I got my Speedo, my really tight tank top, and I'm good to go. <laughs> It's just your average Sunday. Just a normal Sunday. So I said, no, I, I have the total what I was wearing. He's like, all right, here's... And he proceeded to tell me not only what I was, should be wearing, but also to not, like, he that mile eight, there's going to be clothes everywhere. People are going to be taking their clothes off. Don't do that. Don't take your sweatshirt off. Don't take your, 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 your gloves off because there's a part of the marathon where it's going to get really, really cold. He was dead on right. And then he, had, he took me over to the, to the map. And he starts pointing to the map and there's people lined up behind us that want to get a look at the map. But Arthur was most focused on me at that point. He didn't care about anybody else in line to look at that map. And he gave me all the route. He gave me where to walk. He told me where it was going to be cold. He told me where it was going to be difficult. Next thing you know, we're standing at the table where we're buying, you know, these little gel packs that the marathon runners use to, to, to keep your energy up, you know, the fuel throughout the process and on and on. Ends up spending an hour with me an hour and giving me probably some of the most valuable advice I could possibly have gotten from anyone on how to complete this marathon. And it, it really, it, it taught me two things. One, it taught me what I didn't know, right? Like I, I was going into this with a, with this huge void of knowledge that I was, I didn't realize I was missing out on it. And two, it taught me the power of preparation and, and someone telling you, you know, what you need to do and, and the importance of a coach. We've all had coaches and Arthur was my coach for that one hour. And boy, it played out, man. It played out and I was able to finish. And it was pretty impressive, man. It was pretty impressive. That's amazing. It's you don't know what you don't know, you know? That's it. You don't know what you don't know. And I was super excited and and honored. When I called him later, I asked, hey, would you mind joining us on our Selling the Dream podcast? Because, you know, I think that this is this is the exact kind of stuff that we thrive on here. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce our guest for the day, one Arthur Scott, legacy runner of the Philadelphia Marathon, and my hero is <laughs> the guy that helped me accomplish something that I did not think was was possible. So Arthur, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Ken. It's, it's, it's great to be here. I'm, I'm sitting here laughing as we're telling your story because there's some parts of it that really are just so unbelievable. And you hear and you often may use from time to time the word serendipity. But for you, you really could not have met probably a better person that day in the hall because there's another friend of mine who's one of the legacy runners in Philadelphia, and he was there. And he and I 
you know, the two of us together, there are no other people in that hall that had thousands of people in it that have run more Philadelphia marathons. So for you to either meet him or I was was very fortunate on your on your behalf. Luckiest. I'm the luckiest man I know. Exactly. <laughs> Sometimes it's better to be lucky than to be smart. You know? That's right. That's right. Now, to, for everyone that's listening, what a legacy runner is, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Arthur, you have run in 25 of the 27 Philadelphia marathons. The, are those numbers 26 now? So 26. There it is. And, and look, the last one we did, since you did it, you know that one counted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. You know, I, every mile counts. Every mile. Yeah. Now, one of the things I thought was really interesting about that day, Joe, and I think I was telling you this, was in the morning, Arthur texted me and says, hey, good luck today. Did you eat your sweet potato? Arthur, tell them about the sweet potato. Well, well, it, essentially it goes before that because when, when Ken and I met, the, the more we spoke, the more I realized that, and I, I mean this in a, in a fun way, that Ken had no clue. <laughs> <laughs> and, and as we spoke, I thought, I thought two things. I thought, wow, how bold is this guy to come out and take on this without really knowing what he's getting into? And then I thought, I got to help this guy out. Like, you're going to be in trouble tomorrow. <laughs> because here's the thing that you know, Ken may not tell you. And I can tell you this from having the experience that I have, not only in Philadelphia, but in all the marathons that I've done. And I'm just going to say this plainly. That Sunday was a hard day. Ken doesn't have the perspective of, I did a marathon three weeks prior in D.C. I did the Marine Corps Marathon, which is one that I also do a lot as well. We had a great day. It was sunny. It was 50-some-odd degrees. It was little wind, et cetera. That day in Philadelphia, having done as many as I have, I would say that was one of the top two hardest Philadelphia marathons that I have ever done. We started in 20-some-odd degrees. It never got over 33. And here's the capper, and you need to appreciate this when you're out there. We had 36-mile-an-hour wind gusts, and I knew that was going to happen. And again, Ken had no clue, and I said, you know, once we get by, I may pronounce it wrong, but I think it's the Schuylkill River. Is that the right pronunciation? Yep, yep. River. That, that wind picks up, and you're going out towards Maniunk, and, and he's just looking at me with his days look, and I'm like, Ken, we've got to talk, man. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you met Ken. Your expectation of, of KJ is the same as mine when we met in college. So this guy's got no clue what's going on here, does he? We got to take care of this guy. <laughs> yeah, but he was enthusiastic. And you know what? What I'm respectful is, you know, the, Ken said it well. There are all types of people in different ways, and you know, there's some people who you can tell them it's hot, and they're looking at the fire, and they look at you and they shake their head, but they don't believe it's hot until they stick their finger in it. And then they burn themselves and it's too late. But there the, are others that can live vicariously and listen to your experience. And that's why I'm very polite and very cautious and say, you know, are you willing to take some input? And then, you know, let him know it wasn't bragging on myself, but more so giving him my qualifications to say, you're talking to someone that knows what he's talking about because I've done this for 25 years. So this isn't a one-time thing. And, you know, what I picked up was that Ken, and this applies to the professional space as well, you know, you got to kind of gauge, are people listening to you and are they really wanting to take your input based on your experience? Or are they just shaking their head saying, yeah, 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 I'm going to do it my way anyway. You know, and you find that that happens a lot. 
So once we started going down the path, I mean, you know, I had to talk to him about the race. I started talking about the clothing. And then I realized he didn't know how to feed himself. You know, for those that have not done a marathon, it's not like going out and running three, four or five miles, you know, or jog down the block or even going for what you might think is a long run of seven, eight miles. No, you're going to be out there for those of us that are older, busy professionals. You know, we're not young athletes. You know, the, the front runners, yeah, they finish in two hours and 20 minutes to under three hours, et cetera. You know, we're out there for four and five hours or longer. And so when you're out there exerting yourself in those kind of conditions for that long, your carbohydrate and your fuel intake is necessary and it has to be higher than it would be normally. And you want to do it on a quality basis. The way, you know, I, I said it to Ken and I said it to many people is you're asking a lot of yourself. You're asking a lot of your body. Why not give it what it needs? And when I said it in that manner, he understood. And I said, come on, Ken, we got to go over this table and I'm going to tell you what to buy and I'm going to tell you when to take it. And he wrote it yeah. down. And he did it. And that's why he was successful. Now, Arthur, tell me about some of the other accomplishments, because when after you and I really got to know each other, the marathons was really only half the story. What are some of the other things you like to do um, in your downtime? Let's say? Well, I, I guess it, 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 you could sum it up by saying I like to challenge myself. And I was I was glad to hear at the beginning of the conversation that, you know, you, you guys are, are getting regimented about what you're doing. I, the running came from preparing for other sports when I was younger. I was a, a different sport athlete and running, you know, was all about the endurance and the stamina. And then as I became a busy professional, my, my career has been in corporate banking. Running was the most convenient way for me to stay in shape while I was on the road traveling both domestically and, and globally. And I always was in a condition where I could go out and do a a 10K, a 10 mile, or maybe a half. And then in 1995 was when I did my first marathon. And, you know, we can talk about how that came about. But then after doing marathons for so long, I wanted to get, you know, into some other sports. And so just on a lark, I said, well, as a cross-training basis, let me go buy a bike. And at that time, I bought what you might call a hybrid bike, one that you can take on the road, a little bit of grass, a little bit of the trail. And I went out and I did that and I started enjoying that. And then I got in with some other people that were in my geographical area that were what you would call not bikers. It's a different word when you start using the word cyclists. And okay. these were cyclists. And despite the fact that I was a good aerobic athlete and could probably outrun most of them, I could not outcycle them. And my, I guess, competitive instincts, you could say, kicked in. And I immersed myself. You talked about preparation. Same thing I did in running. I did with cycling. I started reading on the internet. I started visiting bike shops. I started educating myself. I started reading about the physiology of cycling. And then I started training in that sport. And so in addition to running now, I guess you could say I'm a, a long distance, not competitive or racing cyclist, but an enthusiastic amateur. I do more than what most amateurs can do. For example, for the last seven years in a row, I guess you could say I repeat things a lot. I've done a ride that your listeners can look up on the internet called the Triple Bypass, and that's out in Colorado. That's 120 miles, three mountain passes that go over 11,000 feet, 12,000 feet, and, and 10,500 feet. So not only is it the distance, but we're talking about the conditions of Colorado, which has some of the highest mountains in the domestic U.S. That is no joke. I spend quite a bit of time with my kids who are competitive snowboarders in the, in the mountains, and once you get above like 7,000 feet of elevation, 
it's a you're breathing completely different it's a whole different world that's amazing yes you hit the nail on the head and and, you know since i do it i I get a little anal about these kinds of things i mean for example what you just said at nine thousand feet you have 35 percent less oxygen in the air so you think about that you're exerting yourself in a space where you have two-thirds the oxygen you do with sea level and you're trying to do even more so there's talking about it and then there's actually being in the environment and experiencing it and so you learn how to train yourself when you learn your body's limitations and how to extend those limitations safely but just like the conversation why it was so easy for me to interact with ken in that manner i've done the same thing when i first came out here to colorado there were these i'll call them colorado mountain goats on on their bikes and they're going by me i couldn't talk i couldn't breathe I'm, I'm trying to drink water out of my bottle and, you know, it's coming out of my mouth because I can't get air. And they're going by me relaxed and I'm looking at them and they're saying, hey, God, do you have this? Do you have that? And just like Kent, I don't know what they're talking about. I'm not a Colorado cyclist and they helped me. And so I listened to what they did. And guess what? I improved and I got better. It's amazing that we push ourselves, Joe, you know, for someone at, at your advanced age, Joe, to, to, to want to get into, to want I'm to get into Tom. I'm younger than Tom Brady, KJ. To get into competitive, you know, jujitsu for someone of my age and weight to want to run a marathon and, and someone like Arthur to want to climb a mountain, you know, on a bike. Arthur, what could, what do you think that is about human beings because it's not just us, right? I've, I've talked to a couple of other people now that are inspired to want to do something. I have at least three people saying they want to run a half marathon now, which I'm excited about. I think we're going to do that in, in March. What is it about people that want, about humans that want to do difficult, unnecessary things? Well, I mean, I, I don't, I won't claim to have the answer, but I'll, I'll give what I think is a notion. I would say, number one, it's curiosity. And it's curiosity about your own limitations, what you can do and what you may be capable of. The second thing, sometimes it's really just about self-improvement because people are at different places and different times in their life. And it is wondering that, you know, what if I embark upon this path? uh, What impact is that going to have on me as an individual, as a person, as a professional? And how might that change me for the better? And so from my experience that I found is, the athletic side of my life, which is, of course, just one dimension, carries over into other aspects of my life, too, just in terms of how you conduct yourself, the discipline that you have, what I'll characterize as consistency and, and levels of integrity. Because what I say to people is, and, you know, and, I, and I prove it in practice, I have a lot of little simple sayings, and I do that for a reason, because a lot of times I find nowadays people like to make things complicated. They want to, well, if you do this, you do that, or or on the other hand, they want an easy solution. So my, my one simple saying is, it's not what you do one time. It's what you do over time. Okay, you did something once, but in a year from now or two years from now, can you replicate that? And so what is the consistency, the consistent thing? And it doesn't have to be always at that high level, but you know, using the topic that we're talking about for running, most of the time during the year for perspective, I am not in shape to run 26.2 miles. When I'm not in that kind of shape, I actually think, despite how many I've done, I think, wow, how do I do that? But I am always in shape that I can go out at any time and and run five miles, 10 miles, because that is a minimum threshold relative to the point of consistency that I'm talking about. So I think, you know, in answer to your original question, that, that there needs to be a desire to explore one's limitations and have curiosities about 
what you can do. And, 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 and over time, Ken, it, it builds upon itself. And what it, what it actually ends up doing is it gives you a quiet confidence in terms of you no longer wonder what you're capable of. You have a confidence of knowing what you can do. And then when something comes up that you're not sure of, instead of doubting yourself, you say, maybe if I try, maybe if I apply myself, I might be able to do this. There are challenges that I create for myself that I'm unsure of and that I know I cannot do without training, without thought, without preparation. One example, last year, one of the things that you know, going to Colorado inspired me to do from talking to other people was trying to do one of the hardest climbs on a bicycle in the United States. Many people have heard of Pikes Peak. Well, my goal was not to climb Pikes Peak on a bike. My goal was to climb Pikes Peak on a bike from the bottom to the top without stopping once. And so that's different. And I knew how hard it was. I thought I knew. I knew how hard it was. I knew I couldn't do it without training. I was going to do it in August. I started training for that in April. So I put myself through things that right now I can't go climb Pikes Peak. But when I started it, I didn't know if I could complete it, but I knew I had prepared properly. So while I was on the mountain that day, I, I will tell you that had I not prepared properly, I would not have finished that climb. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Uh, did it nonstop? I did not stop one time. Fantastic. Wow. And but I'm not I'm not I'm not saying that as though it was easy. Mm -hmm. It was extremely <laughs> <No>. difficult. <laughs> I I don't I didn't take it. I didn't take it that way. I think it was easy. That, that's amazing. Yeah. Wow. You know what I'd encourage listeners to do is just go out and look at a picture of Pikes Peak Highway, and then you'll understand <laughs> that it, it is so intense that when you're on the highway, there are no guardrails. There were many times that if I made a right turn on the bike, I would die. I drop off a thousand feet to a cliff below. So it's intense. That's amazing. I think, can I kind of answer your question from my perspective? And I think Arthur touched on this a little bit. I think that people do that stuff out of fear and not, not fear of doing it, fear of not having the skill set to be able to apply that mentality to other situations in their life. So, you know, when I, I know for myself, when I, when I train and when I work out and things like that, it just, it makes, seems like it makes other things that could be really scary or complicated, really simple, because I know that I can rely on my skill sets that I'm developing, you know, when it comes to basically just being comfortable with the uncomfortable. And I think that that's a lot of that, that goes really far that if you can push yourself mentally to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations, whether it be physically, whether it be socially or mentally and, you know, work, things like that. If you can get in a zone where, you know, get comfortable with the uncomfortable, it's, it's, it's applicable to really everything in your life. And you're no longer scared of thing of the unknown of what's approaching you because you know that, okay, I'm comfortable with the uncomfortable and I know that I can rely on my skill set, whether it be intellectually or physically to handle any situation. So that's that for me, that's kind of my motivation. What I learned in my journey of doing something unnecessary and hard was how I many times, many times over the period between when I decided to do it and the day, the day of when I finished, when I crossed the finish line was doubt, failure in the moment. And I, I try and teach this to my kids and 
and to the kids that I coach is that you can feel like a failure in the moment. And it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to fail. You know, when I came home from my first 13 mile run and I couldn't walk, my wife literally almost called the doctor. <laughs> she was that nervous about my physical condition coming in from that 13 mile run. And when I couldn't finish my last long run, it was supposed to be 16, turned into 11. And when I was struggling at the gym, the times where I was struggling, all of that, I, I felt like I was failing in the moment. But it all was part of a process, a building process that led up to the day of where the one thing I didn't think of was inspiration, you know, and, and, and inter divine intervention for, for what anybody wants to call it. That's what I believe it was. Even up to the point where Arthur, if you remember, he said he's going to be wearing a red jacket. In my mind, I'm like, there's going to be 8,000 people there. How am I going to spot Arthur in a red jacket? At mile 16, my wife turns around and says, there's a guy in a red jacket, because that's where I, was, I met, met Amy at mile 16. Sure enough, I turn around and it's Arthur. And he says, hey, Ken, how you doing? And I'm like, I feel good. He said, you look good. But that kind of like just momentary, like, you know, inspiration. It was just what it was what I needed to see when I needed to see it. You can't discount inspiration when you're when you're looking to to accomplish something that's difficult. You can prepare and you can you can, you know, set your mind right, but you can't discount the need to be inspired and how you inspired me, author, and how Joe, how how your kids, and I will tell everybody Joe's kids inspired him. I know how your kids inspire you and how my, my, my kids inspire me that, that, and that the people that were inspiring too, hopefully is such an important part of any accomplishment. And, you know, and I know, I wish we had six hours to talk. We don't because we're, we're all, we're on these time constraints, but Arthur, two things. One, I'm going to finish with a question here, but I also want to secure now while we're on a good mood that you'll promise to come back and we'll talk about more stuff, but Real, real quick. Have you ever failed? Yes, absolutely. I can remember, I think it was somewhere in the vicinity of my range of eighth or ninth marathon. This is back in the 90s. And I was going to, I had friends and family with me. And I, and I want to digress just a moment to something you just said, micro and macro, when you talked about support and inspiration. I would be remiss in not saying in this journey over the last 28 years, that from a micro perspective, what's been most important and helpful to me is my significant other, Ken, who you asked for that photograph that other day. She has been with me every step of the way. She's been with me at most of the marathons. She hands me things. She takes things from me. And not only just the mechanical and logistical support, but just the idea and the spirit that all those miles when I'm out there by myself, that I know that she's going to be at the finish line smiling and waiting for me. That's a, an encouragement. And then the macro piece is surrounding yourself and I surround myself and I have a community of individuals that, you know, what I do, what we do collectively, it's not unusual for us. It's not a big deal. It's how yeah. we live. It's not just me. My friends run marathons too. I have friends that run 100 mile ultra marathons. I have friends that ride their bikes more than I do and they're faster and stronger than I am. So being in that community of people inspires me so that I'm normal. I'm not an anomaly of this guy that does this crazy stuff. It's just how we live. And so going back to the failure specifically, I got to mile seven and I had pain so bad. I remember it like it was yesterday in my leg. I had, I didn't know it at the time, but I had something called IT or iliotibial band syndrome. 
My knee hurt so bad that the pain made my eyes water like I was crying. And I had to call my significant other and my cousin, and they were there in New Orleans with a car, and said, I'm not going to be able to finish this. You all have to come get me. I have never stopped before or since in a marathon, but my leg would not let me go on. And there's a point to that because while I was disappointed, they were, you know, supportive and they were encouraging. You know, I kind of say, you talk about divine intervention. I'm glad I didn't finish it. Two miles after I got out of the race, it was a deluge of a downpour in New Orleans and the rest of the race was in the pouring rain. So I would have done it, but it would have been absolutely miserable. But what I learned is I felt like I failed, but then you become thoughtful and say, okay, why did that happen? And that was early in my running and you know, earlier athletic you know, marathon career. And so I, I started to analyze and said, you knew you had a problem. You ignored it, overcame you. And so what did you learn? Don't do that again. I went to the doctors. I understood what the issue was. I understood more about my physiology, my body, et cetera, how to stretch, what supplements to take, et cetera, et cetera. And actually that injury and that failure paved the way at, let's say, nine marathons for me to get to the point that I was able to do 61 more successively without a problem and without ever stopping again, without ever quitting. So that thing that you call a failure actually is something that is a learning and it's a boost to you if you use it properly and extract the information that you need from it to learn from it and benefit you in the future. Wow. Fantastic. What they say, you, you either win or you learn. There's no, there's no alternative. That's right. Arthur. I appreciate you being here today. I appreciate you sharing your story. And I, I have a debt of gratitude, you know, to you for, for the, for the coaching and the inspiration you were to me to accomplish, you know, that, which I didn't think was possible. And I look forward to continuing to, to chat with you, but more importantly, I look forward to having you back on. I still want to hear all about how all of your successes and, and, and your philosophies on life and success, your philosophies on the wanting, willing gap and discipline are tremendous. And I can't wait to bring that in on our next episode. So as long as you're ready to be back, then I'm a happy guy. Absolutely. No problem. All right. Joe, wrap us up here, man. I'm just, I'm equally impressed with both. you. I shouldn't say equally. I'm impressed with both. You. I'm a little bit more impressed with Arthur. Cash. <laughs> but, that. <laughs> you know, I, my, the whole time that we're, we talk about this kind of stuff and, you know, I know that this is, we're, we're a business podcast, but if you can't see the parallels between running a successful business or being successful in your career and all the preparation and motivation and inspiration that it takes to run a marathon or do anything like that, it's, it's all the same. And, you know, it's just the incremental wins. And I was, I'm, I'm honored to be on this podcast with both of you today. It's really, really cool. Awesome. Well, thank you both. Thank you, Arthur. I look forward to catching up with everybody again. But in the meantime, everybody have a great day. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Selling the Dream. We know you don't want to miss a single episode. So go subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. And then make sure to share the show with your friends and leave us a review.